0: You are setting the agenda, you're the parent, and so you've got to make sure that they're not manipulating you because a lot of times that they'll do that just because they know you won't correct them right away
1: <clears throat> yeah the 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 bad time you know we do live in a culture where you you don't want to spank your children in public, and it's not good for the child either that you do that because this is really something that. That's between you and, and them. And um, there, the, the one thing that I w- would encourage in this is, is not putting it off a long time. But, you know, I, my kids only one time did I leave it all in the cart and go and put them in the car. But they all still talk about it. <laughs> but that was the longest drive from Walmart to our house. It was longer than Mississippi to Atlanta. You know, just Walmart to the house. Because they knew this is coming, and it's not going to be pretty. Um, and they never did it again. You know, if they're again, if they if they know when you're consistent and you follow through. Uh, I have one, had one child, we talked about some this weekend, who would just push it and push it and test me, but she's now the mother of three, and she says to me, I never did get a spanking that I didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. I know that now, Mom, even though she would say, you're killing me and you're not fair and, you know, and can tell some horror stories. And and a lot of times it, her disobedience would happen in a place where, in the car, you know, and it would, you know, my youngest daughter still says that anytime somebody pulls off the road, <laughs> she's like, <gasps> you know, was it because we had a spoon in the car? You know, we, had, we drove a lot from Mississippi and Alabama to Atlanta, where our family was, or where we were living at that time, you know, it, it was just always there. And you hate it, and it's painful, and you feel like, oh, do I have to one more time? But early consistency really does pay off. I've seen it in multiple families. And the longer that you wait or the more times you just miss the chance, it's like you have to go back and do double. You know, it's just like it starts stacking up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, a procedure is to look at them and say, you know, if you're not going to walk out with them right where you are, is to say, I'm going to pr- get in their face. I promise you this. When we get home, you will be spanked. And I'm not going to forget you know, and they'll start like hanging on to you, and you know, like you know, and and di- and then you just do it, and you tell them, oh, I hope this never happens again. You know, you and you have the kinds of conversations with them, but you don't just say, oops, they disobeyed, and we're in a bad place. You yeah. know. Uh, and you, you have to pray about with each child what really is is going to work. Sometimes a word to a child in public is, is enough. You don't even have to follow through at home. But uh, with Jessica, if I didn't follow up, she was going to push it a little bit farther the next time. And I did. You know, you miss. You fail, you know. Because it's
2: precedent setting for you and for them. Yeah. You got something else? Nope. Okay. Um, thank you. That was helpful. Uh, this kind of reminds me of uh, why sometimes in uh, this, you might say, an exhaustive treatment of the topic of spanking, which we're still in. We've still got a couple more questions on this topic. Um, sort of reminds me of why we at times in our worship bulletin put in there a stated prayer of confession. Because we're horrible at it. It's, you know, we, we desperately need to, to learn how to confess sin. And there are times we just simply have to print it out so that we can be taken by the hand and shown mm-hmm. as, a, as a means for us to do it. Okay, so teach us more. We need to learn how to do this, okay? Um, there, this is just elementary, but it, it, it ought not to be, I think, uh, go unsaid. Please go over the biblical way to spank. Now, here are some examples. There's probably several headings under that mm-hmm. you could put in there. Uh, for example, how many swats with the spoon? Uh, another might be uh bare bottomed or covered and i'll I'll throw another one in there. You had mentioned it earlier uh paint stick hit skin red. How do you know when you've gone you know not enough too far
0: right you just okay don't run with that. <sighs> How many swats with the spoon as many as it takes um, now what
2: does that mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it depends on the child.
2: Um, what are you looking for?
0: For us, well, you're looking for some measure of. All right, go ahead.
2: She's
1: rescuing. Al Martin, <laughs> Reformed Baptist pastor that some of you may have listened to his, his, his teaching, he tells the story of his father giving what that were bathroom spankings. They always would go to the bathroom, and, and he would would spank the father would spank, and the mother would stand outside the door and listen. And he would give the spanking and the worst thing that could happen in their house with, when he was a child was when the mother would say, give him some more pop. He's not done yet. <laughs> and he said they used to work on how to get a repentant cry going because that was the job of the two parents. The father would spank and the mother would listen. And if they didn't hear repentance, she would say, give him some more puppies, not done yet. Now, that's that's a little like, you know, off the the charts thing, but it's true. It does depend on the child. I could spank my oldest kid, once, you know, just give him a whack, and he was like, I'm so sorry, I'm not doing it again. Mommy, I'm not doing it again, I'm so sorry. And then I've shared with, this weekend, I'd spank my second child, my daughter. she turned turn around and say, don't you hit me again. <laughs> so what did I have to do? I had to hear her again. And uh, we had a, a system, and I think this is in the questions as well. You know, you go to the room and you wait. We come. We would speak the offense and make them speak it back to it. Okay, what is it that you have done? So that they would tell us. So we had a little book with hold not correction that would have verses in it for that misbehavior. And A lot of times at that point we would take out the scripture and say, what does God say about this, and so you disobeyed, and they would have to lean over the bed, lean over the bed, and I had three children who would lean over the bed, they would be a little, but Jessica, as soon as I would wear her back, she would turn on me. <laughs> She tells stories about how I had to sit on her one time so her father could give her the spanking. So, you know, it's like, so I give you this thing, and I'm telling you, you, you may have the child that you have to sit on to give them a spanking. She's my best friend now. I tell people that was supposed to be. Saying. But so one lick, two lick, it really does. But it is good to have sort of for the kids, you know, you're going to get three licks. For any any disobedience. So and sometimes you hit them once or twice. You go, that's enough. I think you got this. That's okay. Or to, or to say, no, I can tell by your spirit you still are not understanding why we are having to do this. So you do some more. And then we'd pray together. And three of mine would just pray, would hold my hand, and Jessica would go. For my sanctification. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: oh. and our our practice, and again, this is just our practice. I'm not saying we were perfect. We had the th- two or three would be sort of a standard offense. And um, for us, the it would often would be with their pants on or with their shorts on or underwear on. And then, especially, this is especially true. Well, when my daughter, I would just have to show the spoon, and there would be repentance. But then, especially as my daughter got older, um, I would not do that. I just—it was embarrassing to her because she was starting to understand herself as a as a young girl and a woman, and so I was careful about that. Uh, and then her mom of course could do it but they were always afraid of my spankings rather than mom's spankings and so we had that but uh, there again with my older boys uh, they would especially my oldest he would turn and then sometimes it's a it's a team effort but then for us our kids spanking lost its uh, What's its value, if you want to say that? What's its effect when they were getting to be around 10, 11, 12? And so we, but at that time, they were also able to, their cognitive abilities, we were able to find other discipline. Uh, not, well, in some cases, the physical correction there would be manual labor. Yeah. And so you bring that into a play. I remember one time in the church I served in Montgomery, we had a, a family in our church and the son had done something on the computer at school and he was suspended for a few days well those two days was spent scraping the mud out of a little drainage ditch that was right outside my office window he was all by himself and the point is you see this ditch there's a lot of mud in there and there are weeds that's going to be clean even if you're here till midnight, is going to be clean. And that was his, I mean, he was in high school, but that's what he was called to do. And that was the correction. Mm-hmm. He hated it because it was hot. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, coming back to something you were saying about uh, having to sit on your daughter. <laughs> Oddly enough, we have a question that's fairly specific on this point. Um, when a child resists a spanking, becomes angrier, or falls to the ground, fights it instead of submitting, yells at the parent, how do you physically restrain the child to administer the spanking? Anything else you'd want to say to that?
1: We had enough of those moments that sometimes, I, you know, I would just shut the door and say, we're in here until we're done. And and it has been, it was it, on a couple occasions more than an hour. And um, I would pray. And um, Jessica tells me often, she said, Mama, I think hearing you pray, not just for your own wisdom and what to do, but hearing you pray for my heart, is what God really used in the long run, because I came to where, when we were in those moments, I knew, oh boy, I've sent Mother to the throne of grace yeah. to beg and to plead again, you know, and she said, when I was younger, I just hated it, and then I realized that I should hate it because it was about me and you know it it really was a process we had some very very miserable discipline moments in her life but um you know it I just I didn't know anything else to do and so I just kept on and it was very obvious when the spirit did begin to work in her heart um she still has that fire but um it makes for an excellent mother and friend, you know, and so, and that's what I'm thankful for the endurance of it. I made some mistakes. We had moments that weren't pretty, um, but both the direction, you know, but but it didn't make me just throw my hands and say you're just. I'm just going to let go. Um, so you 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 know, sometimes you do just have to stop and just say this isn't. We're not going. And but don't you know? Don't let the moment go away without them hearing you pray and ask for God to work in your heart and their heart. Um, And I also would encourage you, if you have a child that's doing that, and I learned this too late as well. I think I mentioned in um, Ted Tripp's book came out, you know, a lot of things I realized I hadn't done very well. But when I began having conversations with the Jessica, when things were really good about the bad moments, that was really helpful. You know how when you do disobey, just gonna have to take you in that room, and you're gonna turn and twist, and you're not gonna. Be, do you understand that it's just as hard for me as for you know? And once she was eight, nine, ten years old, we had several of those conversations, and so the times became fewer. Um, but I think sometimes we wait to have the tough conversations in the midst of the disobedience and the need to rebuke and train, Mm -hmm. and to really take the time in other seasons, you know, times in your life and sit down at a table and say, we had a really hard moment the other day. I hope we never have to do that again. Let's talk about what would really work Mm -hmm. better for both of us. Mm -hmm. Um, As they get older, you really can have those sorts of of conversations instead of just the physical fight and the response to the moment. Um, I hope that's helpful. That's great.
0: I completely agree with that, that sometimes the situation is so tense that you've got, it's like there's disturbed waters and you just need to calm the waters down before any real correction can be given. And prayer is that oil that settles the waters. And again, I like what Sue said, prayer is for you because you have to manifest self-control and that's a fruit of the spirit and you need it especially if there's the tensity, cuz you can get wrapped up in it as well and that's when your anger can come up and you should not discipline out of anger because that's where you can you lose sight and it becomes more about you than about the child and so you've got that's you just pray but one thing a uh, couple of about a year and a half ago Morgan introduced me at a I was speaking at a women's leadership training and Karen Hodge, our women's ministry—Morgan being your daughter, More, my daughter Morgan. Karen me. Hodge, our women's ministry coordinator, <clears throat> invited my wife and my daughter to introduce me. I was going to give the plenary speech. Oh, you were there. And um, my my wife gave a little spiel. Here's my husband. Blah blah blah. And then my daughter came up and had about a minute and a half. And something she said in the midst of it was that she, you know. She has a dad who disciplined her, and sometimes she did things that we didn't know she did, and she actually got the spanking spoon and spanked herself.
1: <laughs> he didn't even know I that. didn't know, know that. Like
0: <laughs> so here are all these women, and I'm learning this about my daughter. <laughs> so uh, I guess, I guess it worked. But my daughter never was very hard to discipline. Uh, and because she would have remorse right away. It was the boys that were the challenge.
2: Hey, that's gold. Uh, thank you. Okay, we're going to shift a little bit. Still under the larger heading of discipline, pushing out of the, the band of spanking in particular. Stephen, there was a slide you shared yesterday. I'm sure you remember it. In the context of discipline, the, the subtitle was developing standards regarding all that, and the question is, could you give examples of the developing standards slide, walking us through it? So you might want to explain what it, what are the standards. And
0: yeah, I, I have the question yeah, here. What right. um, the slide? The slide. It's. Uh, I think I know what the slide is. Left middle. Base the standard on Word of God. Describe how the standard promotes the child. Yes. Um. A lot of times, this is. I was challenged a number of years ago where I was in a. I was at a men's luncheon, and it was uh, one pastor, a fellow pastor in the presbytery, and a couple of men, and we were just sitting there talking. And one of the men saying, um, "Of course, I have a military background." And the person talking, the father, also had a military background. He's like, "You know, we're just having a kid, and he goes to sleep, and we're telling him he's got to shut the door, and he wants to leave the door open, and..." He's just, I close the door and he comes and opens the door and I just, I spank him and then he, I close the door and he opens the door and I spank him again and, and the pastor said, why don't you just leave the door open? <laughs> and the guy, you know, of course, I was military, I was with him, Is was like, yeah, he didn't follow the rules, and, but that made me think. What what is he teaching the child? That it's somehow a biblical requirement to have the door closed? And then the pastor went on to say, Have you talked to your child? Are they scared? Are they frightened? And the father had never had that conversation. And so the father, the way the discipline was, is I set a standard. I'm not going to tell you any reason for the standard. Just follow the standard. And then this pastor was real, and he, he was speaking to this parent, but he was challenging me as well. I need to make sure, there could be a very good reason, safety reason or something like that, but I need to communicate. I, one, I need to think through what am I requiring my child and is there a biblical reason for it? Yesterday we were talking about the idea of jumping on the bed and it was a safety issue. Well, then you explain to the child, or you don't touch the stove because it's a safety issue. And I, God requires me to provide for your safety. And so you, you've got to think through all the things that are, especially when it involves physical correction. And you've got to tie it to what is the biblical command for you as a parent that you are now applying in this area. And then as you're you're explaining it to your child, so that they know the why behind
1: it. Well, yeah, you know, as you go down and you make an appeal to them as to why what they're doing is um, not what God would desire, what His best was. I know yesterday I spent I had lunch with Anna. She said I won't be in there in the morning because she's back there with the children. But we were talking about teaching children you know just why they were created to glorify God how do you teach a child what that means or how you, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and I always teach children I said you know that you fear God when what he thinks is the most important thing to you what is it that God thinks the fear of God is when you know you're like what would God think what is God you know and those are just conversations that ought to be continually being had in your family you know what we aren't here about us it's not about you you know my daughters especially were kidded by their friends You know, they were oh, when they got married were saying it's your day you're the bride and they said well you hadn't talked to my mother because <laughs> I looked at them and I said this is not about you mm. this is about the kingdom of God mm. And this is about the way he has, you know, uh, for for generations continued his kingdom. And this is what this is about that day. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. And, you know, that, that sounds so simple to say, but yet the world is telling them everything else. Their sinful heart is telling them everything else. And so to stop and say, what is it? And then to say. What God likes, what God loves, what God requires is always perfect and the best and the good the good thing, and because he loves you. Because he loves you. You know, he, Ted Tripp's hot space says he gives the Ten Commandments in the context. I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt, you know. And so you, you're always putting that before him, but this is what God wants. We want what God wants. He's got the best thing in mind, and, and putting that, you know, ever out there before them to get them to think wisely, you know, we, um, wisdom is knowing what God wants you to do and doing it. The fear of God begins when you want to know what it is that God would want. You know, sometimes it's just sitting down and say, "What is God's best here?" We should tell our kids it's not really obedience unless you probably know this. Unless it's joyful, complete, and immediate. You know, and I think about what that means. If you're doing it with attitude, you know, that's not what God desires. He wants obedience to him to be joyful, complete, immediate. You see it in the coming down of the tree of Zacchaeus. It said he gladly came down the tree and went on with Jesus. That's a picture of obedience because his desire was to do what Jesus wanted him to do. There's so much teaching and instruction in there, but I will tell you that the reason children are a blessing is because these are things we have a hard time with. And the more you tell them to your children, the more you begin to realize, boy, I don't think I'm really good at joyful, complete, immediate obedience myself. You know, so you know as you develop those standards, you know, get a get a sort of a pattern of taking them back every time. What is what is it that our God wants? And um, and we are we're created to glorify Him. The thing that glorifies God, I have a glory story. I didn't tell this weekend, but my son's first truck was a black Ford Ranger. And I told him how he was going to take good care of it and have it the rest of his life. And when he got to be an old dude and he had a different car, he'd love having that little Ranger truck. You know, I'll him about it. But the Ford Ranger was never good enough for Jeff. He had to, you know, put a stripe down the side, a special lining in the bed, tinted windows. And, and he had to lift it twice and put tires on it, that though, as big as I am. All. But everywhere he went, people said, Whose truck is that? I was actually in a restaurant one time and somebody walked in and said, Whose truck is that? You know, when I saw him strut over there. It's my truck. You know, he was like 20 and it's just like and I realized that he wanted a truck that brought him glory. Hmm. Not just everybody's Ford Ranger. And that has to do with the way we're created in the image of God. You know, we kind of want that moment where we go, it's me. So I I tell little kids that story, and I go, you know, when you glorify God, you become the kind of person that that people say, whose daughter is she? Whose son is he? And the ultimate answer is, she's God's child. He's God's child. And they're amazed at the God that you belong to because of who you are and what you are doing. And and those sorts of things have to be fleshed out in the thought processes of our kids. He created you to be that. And you won't ever do things joyfully, completely, and immediately till you begin to understand that the God who made you brings that joy to you as you follow him. You know, it's, it's just that constant. You just can't give them those illustrations and that, those take backs often enough. Sometimes they may look at you with a dull stare. So you pray that as you're learning this and wrapping your mind around it, that God will give them hearts, you know, to to, to embrace that. Uh, such a process, again, sanctification.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, this last one, next one rather, could be our last one. It depends on how deep y'all want to run with this, and I could see some very, the potential for some very deep waters uh, in in this next one, depending on which which way you want to go with it. Yeah. You don't remember this one, do you? Um. Now, um. Here we go. If we believe, and there's a quotation here from Romans 8, if we believe that those who are of the flesh do not submit to God's law because they are unable to do so, okay, with that in mind, setting that, okay, all right, that's the case. Given that those who are of the flesh do not submit to God's law because they are unable to do so, with that in mind, how then do we use God's word as a standard of behavior and a tool for correction for non-believing children. You see the, the train trains going here. Um, correlated with that uh, would be a follow-up. Do you acknowledge the lack... Excuse me, how do we? How do we acknowledge the lack of the Holy Spirit in our kids? And then I think the next is sort of a... Um, is this the option? Lower expectations? It's kind of like this hanging answer. It's a very there. good so, question. Yeah.
0: Somebody who knows a bit of theology, so I don't know who it is, but um, I really like how the Westminster Standards present the whole idea of law. There are three uses of the law. Mm -hmm. The civil use, which is for believers and unbelievers alike. And you see this especially on Mount Sinai, when God gave the law, and I like how the Confession puts it, the, the law of God is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. So what that means is On Mount Sinai, God revealed His character, His righteousness, and He distilled that into Ten Commandments. And Israel was to not only use that as a standard for themselves as a community, as a nation, but they were to declare that unto the world. It was Exodus 19. You are a kingdom and priests. And if you understand that in context, they were to take that law. So the civil use of the law is good for everybody. It restrains Mm -hmm. behavior that is unpleasing to God, who has created all people. So you have the civil use of the law, then you have the pedagogical use of the law and this is how the law leads us to Christ it shows us our unrighteousness it shows us our need for Christ and it shows us the reality of what God has done in Christ and so that's a call to those who are unbelievers to embrace the reality of God and the righteousness that is found in the law and the Holy Spirit uses the law to convict someone of their sin to give them a new heart, to bring them to himself. And so that's the pedagogical use of the law. And I think that as a parent especially, uh, and I, I stumbled a little bit on the unbelieving children. Uh, see, I prefer the term covenant children. They have a covenant, and so the law is to be proclaimed to them. Now, we don't know when the Holy Spirit is going to use the law to give them a new heart. We, we don't know that. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. But we do believe that in baptism that something real happens and that that child is recognized as having this status of being in the covenant community. And that the God who cleanses all of us of our sin can be at work in the life. And the only way that child will be saved is by the cleansing work of Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what's in the the baptismal vows. And so the pedagogical use, we declare the law to our children hoping that they are maturing in this covenant. And part of maturity is they embrace the law and say, it's for me. So you have the civil use, the pedagogical use. And then the third use of the law is as a standard of righteousness for those who have the Holy Spirit within them that now becomes, how do I live in a way that pleases this God who saved me by His grace? There's the law. In the context of Romans 8, Paul is referring to that third use of the law. Where I guess it's a different... But that Mm -hmm. standard of righteousness. Because you remember Romans 8, it begins with, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law and sin of death. And he's comparing those two things... And then he talks about, in Romans 8, also this wonderful reality that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God. And so, I would say in some case, the person asking the question is mixing the different uses of the law, sort of mixing the pedagogical use and the righteousness standard use. I mean, it's easy to do, but I think we have to avoid the logical fallacy of saying, Paul is addressing this, and it's a logical fallacy to then... Apply it to all the different levels. Mm -hmm. So, how can the law be used? Well, there's always a civil use. That's why we are called to live out the law even to the watching world. There's a pedagogical use that as we are especially interacting with non-Christians, we develop a relationship with non-Christians, we're presenting the righteous standard of God in the hope that God will change their hearts. And then once they change, then we're using the law to say, here's how you... One who's saved by grace, for whom there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is how you live. Is that? Yeah. See what you got.
1: There's a book out on our table, called Give Them Grace, by Elise Fitzpatrick. And she has some great um, conversations about the gospel with children as we discipline and train them. So I like the book. But there's some things in it that I don't like, and the one thing I do not like is that in every case she gives what you tell saved children and what you tell children who are not yet. And we do not believe that, as uh, those who practice and teach covenant theology. And, uh, the book I do recommend out there for understanding this even a little more is by Stephen Smallman. It's just a little booklet called How right. Children Come to Faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I asked Stephen to write that because I grew up in a, in a culture where, in a, in a Christian culture where you were either saved or not saved and they were just always trying to make sure that you were saved yeah. and that you said the right things to convict them that you really were saved, that you'd say the right thing. And, um, but yet it was hard for me because I didn't ever remember not loving Jesus, which is, I think, not an uncommon thing for covenant kids. And even for covenant kids that have that sense that they love Jesus and then start acting like covenant breakers, you know. But did did we waste all those years when we were teaching them how to behave like believers and then they go off and act like non believers? No. It, go, it goes back to what people who understand child development will tell you. The, what they learn in the first five years of their life is forever. It is forever. And so we teach our children everything that we know from infancy, everything we know. And we ex, you know, our expectations of how they respond will say, you need the Holy Spirit to work in you. But if you can pinpoint the, the time that the Holy Spirit regenerates a covenant child,
2: you
1: are God. <laughs> You're God. And, and Stephen's mom even uses the, the comparison when Jesus says you must be born again. He said it is as unlikely for us to be able to peg our children lost and saved you know, on a time uh, as it is for us to peg the, the time of conception with a, a couple who is, is you know having intercourse every day. How do they know the exact moment? Well, our children have a relationship with the Holy Spirit every moment from birth. How do we, you know, Peck? And so I tell children's ministry groups, teams, and the PCA all the time, I say, You you have a womb ministry. Do we do anything less for a child in a womb than we do for one who has come forth and cried out? You know, we don't know when God is going to do that thing, but we keep feeding them and teaching them and loving them and having great expectations of them and training them how to respond to the law and what the law is about and who God is and all those sorts of things waiting for that day. When, when they cry out and there's a twinkle in their eyes and they say, Oh, Jesus is in my heart. I know. And you're like, Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, and, and you, we, we put a lot of, of excitement and hope on that. But yet we know that what happens in the heart of any of us is such a intimate spiritual thing between you and God, you know? Yeah. Um, so we, we don't treat any of our children any differently when they are one month old and when they are 21 years old mm-hmm. as far as what we teach them and what, what our expectations are, always waiting for the, the moment when we have great assurance that they're walking with the Lord. Um, it's, it's a journey that only the Spirit really understands. Mm. But I hate it when we back off and when our real emphasis. We have at children's conferences a lot of people say, you know, how do you lead a child to Christ? And you know, and, and I have a really hard time because they want words to speak that will make them say a certain thing or pray a certain prayer. And I say every word you speak must be leading them to Christ. From the you know, every single point of the way. And then you, mm. you pray together as a body of Christ. Let us have great hope that one day we will see and be assured that what what we know is also what they know. Yeah.
2: That's gold. We gotta go. I know we could keep doing this uh, for another hour, but we can't. We can't. Um, well, uh, yeah. Stephen, Stephen. gets what what you could call a monologue. All
1: right. Stephen
2: gets the monologue later. Um, but thank you. Yeah. Seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for making us your children. Um, such grace, such grace um, for the the rights and privileges that we now enjoy as uh, sons and daughters of the King um, with uh, eternal security by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Thank you for uh, the wonders of your promises. Thank you for your faithfulness uh, to those promises, Uh, even in the face of our great faithlessness, uh, even as parents. uh, We thank you for uh, just this simple truth that we know that you love the children of your children uh, better indeed than your children do, and more intensely uh, than we ever could. Uh, We... uh, Ask you to uh, give us increasing wisdom and understanding and, and joy, peace, confidence, humility, boldness uh, in this endeavor, uh, both as parents and as a larger covenant community uh, here. Uh, we thank you for this hour and we thank you for the one uh, that's about to come in just in a few minutes. We pray in your name. Amen.